Hello, everyone, and welcome to Baseball Nostalgia 1869. I'm Jack Butler, former baseball player turned walking baseball encyclopedia, journalist, and broadcaster. Every Friday, well, today's a Saturday, I'll bring you baseball-minded guests, friends, and give you my thoughts on the baseball world. Today, it is Season 2, Episode 2, and I have a good one in store for you guys. As I'll begin with the injury-ridden Cleveland Indians and how they are surviving in the American League Central as they are just two games behind the front-running Chicago White Sox. Next, I'll discuss why Aaron Savali is the most underrated or underappreciated pitcher in the game right now and preview their back-to-back doubleheaders against the Blue Jays and White Sox. Then let's take a look back at Roy Holiday's masterpiece, a perfect game 11 years later against the Florida Marlins at Sun Life Stadium. And I'll take, make my case for Kenny Lofton belonging in the Baseball Hall of Fame and explain how he got screwed during his first year on the ballot. The Cleveland Indians are staying alive in, main, in this season mainly because of their pitching staff and bullpen. The latter ranks first in all of baseball, and the pitching staff has the fourth-best team ERA at 3.84, allowing the third-fewest runs in the game. The Tribe has also given up 198 runs in 433 and two-thirds innings pitched, where the offense has just scored 193 runs. Terry Francona, who's in his ninth season as Indians manager and won his 700th game with the organization on Thursday, has probably done his best job managing, getting a lot out of a team that doesn't have a lot of firepower. Yesterday, it was the Ramirez show, as the first inning when Jose Ramirez ripped a single and Harold Ramirez lined a double in the alley in right center. Then Jose led off the sixth with a double, and Harold drove him in with a single. Eddie Rosario followed it up with a two-run blast to right center, right field stands, and drove Harold in on an RBI double. Oh, and I can't forget about Shane Bieber's dominant performance on the mound. He retired the first 18 batters he faced until Jonathan Scope lined a homer to left center. The reigning Cy Young and Triple Crown winner went seven innings, only giving up a lone hit to home run, breaking up. 14 Tigers and only walking four. Or no, wait, he struck out 12 Tigers, my mistake. Brian Shaw and Karen Jack did their job from the pen as those two continued strong seasons from the Indians' bullpen. But two big blows were dealt to the Indians over the past week. One was when Fran Mil Reyes hurt himself during an at-bat against the Minnesota Twins on Sunday the 23rd, which she got placed in the IL with an abdominal strain. The club called up young 25-year-old infielder Owen Miller, who can actually play literally anywhere. He can play third base, he can play second, he can play short and first. He started his, his season as a designated hitter. The club uh, filled Reyes' spot in the, on the roster. Miller has four hits and 24 bats, good for a 1.167 batting average with two runs and an RBI. Then on Tuesday, it was made known that Indian starter Zach Plesak broke his thumb while aggressively ripping off his shirt, which took place after he was taken out of a start against the Twins on Sunday. He was also placed on the injured list. Like, how does someone do that? Can someone please explain this to me? Like, how do you rip off your shirt so hard and so forcefully that you break your thumb? He's not, Plesak has done a lot of things that I don't like or respect. Especially last year during the pandemic, he went out with Mike Clevenger and they were taken off the team. They were quarantined. They had to go home. That was a dumb decision that they made. Um, again, you've got to keep your emotions in, in control when you're a starting pitcher or an athlete at any type of level. Remember when Amari Stoudemire punched a brick wall and broke his arm? You got to keep your emotions in check no matter what level you're at because his absence is really hurting this team right now. I mean, they still are floating. They're still five, they're still five games above 500. Indians are still two games out. They have a great opportunity to take the division lead if they sweep the doubleheader on Monday against the Chicago White Sox. But again, you're going to play two doubleheaders back-to-back days, so it's going to be very, going to be very tough for this team to get through this. And even after the doubleheader, they're going to be so beat and tired. So we'll see what happens tomorrow. And I, again, I just don't understand why today's game was canceled. Doesn't make any sense. The game was perfectly fine. The weather was. The, I mean, the weather wasn't perfect. It was it was it was raining earlier, but it seems clear, and it didn't seem like this game should have been canceled today. Yesterday's game, I don't know how they played yesterday. The wind was going crazy, and then in the seventh inning, they go, "Okay, we're just going to call this game," when essentially they shouldn't have called the game due to the rule book because the home team was leading. Then they could have called the game, but the home team wasn't leading. The visiting team was up seven. They were up nine runs, eleven to two, 
and they called it with a two ball count on Josh Naylor last night. And it just doesn't make any sense. So the Indians are going to be playing five straight seven inning games. And it's going to be very tough to see. So we'll have Henches go in game one on Sunday. And then in game two, I believe it'll be Aaron Savali. And then on Monday, we know that Tristan McKenzie is going to make a start at some point in this series, but we just don't know when because he needs to make starts. He needs to get his confidence back. And I really think that he's done a good job. Like he, like the last start against Detroit, I'm not going to knock him. He had a really good start uh, against the Tigers. He just didn't get any run support. And it was just unfortunate that that happened to him, but he pitched a great game. He pitched five innings, shut up baseball. He did his job and there's nothing that he could have done there. So I really give him props for that. But for the Indian side of things, now, according to Mandy Bell yesterday, who was the Indians' beat reporter for MLB.com, tweeted that the Indians have placed Jordan Lupo on the list with an ankle injury. He got an MRI yesterday. They're awaiting the results. So Eli Morgan took a spot in the rotation yesterday. He didn't really have a great start. I might want to count the weather and the fact that he really – that the Toronto Blue Jays lineup is so devastating. Even though there's such a young group of kids, we have to face Marcus Simeon, Bull Bichette, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Randall Grizzik. It's just one after the next. Joe Panics in that lineup, like Daniel Jansen or Kenley, J- like, like it's just such a devastating lineup. They can do it one through nine. And then when you have to face Hinge Ryu and you get a lead, you're like, oh, great. We're going to have a chance to win this game because if because if Eli Morgan can, like, settle down and get out of these innings, then we might have a shot. But unfortunately, that wasn't what was going to happen. And the and the win played a huge effect in the ball game, as outfielders didn't know where the ball was going to go. And, yeah, he was out by the third inning. So it was just to, we just needed some length from a starter. We tried him out. He's got, he got sent back down. I really feel that he just needs a little more work down in AAA and maybe needs some more work. McKenzie, I think, has the stuff that he had on, on Wednesday. He will be fine. If he, he just needs a little more work down in AAA, but you can't work on stuff, as according to Tom Hamilton, you cannot work on stuff down in the major league level that you should be working down at, at AAA. It's just, it's just not going to work. And it's just not going to be a it's just it's just not gonna be a good experience for a guy who's just trying to get back into his groove. Like he was a good pitcher last year. McKenzie was a good pitcher last year. So hopefully that these Indians injuries don't really bug us that much. Um, the big loss is definitely going to be Fran Reyes, as I'll talk about and elaborate later. But that's three injuries to three important Indians players in less than a week. Despite the bad news, the Indians are still five games up by 100 at 27 and 22. They just took three out of four against the Tigers. And over the past six seasons, they're 20, 72 and 23 against Detroit. That's just total domination. Well, I think one year they went like 19 and two or 18 and three. So they're really good. So the Indians did begin a three game series against the Toronto Blue Jays at Progressive Field in Cleveland. They welcomed Vladimir Guerrero Jr., the AL leader in on base percentage and slugging percentage, and league leader in on base plus slugging with and homers with 16. He's only 22 years old and will only get better. But is worth the price of admission each game for the fans and attendance and are in for a real treat this weekend. Uh, tomorrow's going to be a real treat for everyone who can attend tomorrow's game as it'll be a doubleheader. I believe it'll be seven innings. But again, yeah, how, how the Indians are going to work this, they need to get length on Saturday. No, my, my mistake. Tomorrow is, today is Saturday. Tomorrow is Sunday. They must get length from their starters on Sunday if they have a shot of saving their bullpen for Monday. And then after, because they had to play another doubleheader on Monday, and after that, you get to play two more games against the White Sox on Tuesday and Wednesday. Then you get a day off, and then you go to Baltimore and you play the Baltimore Orioles for three games in Baltimore. 
so again, this is going to be a rough stretch for this team. If the starting pitching can get length today or tomorrow, they will be fine for Monday. They will be totally okay. But Cheetah will work it out the best he can with the bullpen as he has. Um, but again, if you can get a split tomorrow, I'll be happy with that because Toronto is just an amazing team. And even if we get a split against the White Sox on Monday, I wouldn't be that upset. Because again, they're such a great team. Their lineup is amazing. And the White Sox, in my opinion, might have the deepest team in baseball in the American League side of things. They have a great pitching staff, Lucas Giolito, Lance Lynn, Carlos Rodon, Dallas Keuchel, you name it. That pitching staff is veteran built. Lance Lynn, Dallas Keuchel, veteran built guys. Carlos Rodon has come on the scene and been amazing this year. He threw his no-hitter earlier in April against the Indians. He has been one of the best pitchers in baseball to watch this year. So we'll see what happens in the next couple of days. But again, if the Indians can get pitching and length and get some runs, however they can get them, because with, yeah, without the absence, without Framo Reyes, this lineup is very minuscule. They only big bumpers are Ramirez, Harold Ramirez, and Eddie Rosario, in my opinion. And when Cesar Hernandez gets back at it, he's been struggling a little bit. But we'll have to wait and see. Again, the, this Indians team is very surviving, mainly due to the fact that they have had great pitching overall, whether it be starting pitching or bullpen pitching. We have the best bullpen in baseball. Classe, Karen Chak, Brian Shaw have been tremendous the whole year. This has been Brian Shaw's best season. I know it's only been 49 games into the season, but he was such a great addition, and he made the team out of spring training. A great addition to his ball club. And Terry Francona loves him. He knows when to use him, and he's pitching amazing this year. Now, the biggest loss of the Indians that we talked about is Jaime Reyes. Because without him out of the lineup, where would the rest of the power and production come from? Eddie Rosario needs to step up. And over the past seven games, or seven days, the left fielder is trending upwards. By hitting 393 with 11 hits, make that 12 hits, one home run, and eight RBIs, two walks, and a couple strikeouts. Another spark to the lineup has been Harold Ramirez. Harold has 19 hits, seven doubles, two home runs, eight RBIs in 23 games, and is slashing a 271 batting average, 311 on base percentage, 457 slugging percentage, and non-baseball slugging is 768. He has filled the void in center field, which has been a struggle for Cleveland in the season started. Ben Gamble didn't pan out, so they DFA'd him in April, and Ahmed now is our shortstop because of Andres Jimenez struggled at the plate early this season and has made five errors in his time in the field. And they sent him down the AAA to work on some things. And he's still a young guy, still a very young guy. I believe he's 23 years of age. Um, now with the recent injury to Luplo, Herod will see a ton of innings in center field for the time being. Let's take a moment and hear from our sponsor, Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free and super easy to use. Their creation tools allow you to record your and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Now let's turn the tide and talk about Aaron Sabali. Yes, Aaron Savali from Northeastern University, the 25-year-old right-hander. Aaron Savali has been the most underrated pitcher in the majors this season. He's leading the AL and wins with wins with seven. With a 3.04 ERA, which I believe is eighth in the American League. He's pitched 68 innings this year, I believe is top four or five, and has, has a whip of one, a batting average against of 2, 0.210. Savali leads the Indians in ERA, wins, whip, batting average against, and the only categories he does not lead or top is strikeouts and innings pitch, both behind Shane Bieber. Savali always flies under the radar because he doesn't throw very hard. Not like the likes of Garrett Cole, Shane Bieber, Trevor Bauer, or Max Scherzer. Or he's not very splashy either, but he knows how to pitch. He attacks the corners and locates the ball so well while throwing all of his pitches for strikes. I call him the modern-day Greg Maddox as a compliment to how similar his pitching style is to the great to the, to the professor. Maddox did not throw 100 miles an hour, but his poise 
but he possessed stellar command of his pitches with great composure and is the first to win at least 15 games in 17 straight seasons. Advantage had success with great command and composure, so can Zavali, who can stay who can stay in this league for 12 seasons, being a third starter. Zavali is just a solid pitcher and one I want on the bump since he goes around seven innings a start while keeping her team in the game. He'll probably still be overshadowed by Garrett Cole, Bieber, Scherzer, DeGrom, and Bauer, but he's the pitcher that is changing the norm that you don't need to throw hard to be successful. So yeah, I, I love Aaron Savali. He doesn't throw a lot of pitches. He doesn't walk a lot of batters. He is so consistent. He may get some selling votes this season. He could be an all-star. You never know. But he is the most underappreciated pitcher in the game this year. He's turning back to his rookie season form. Last year, he had a tough year during the 60-game shortened season, but he's turned it around. He's on his A game now. He almost has an ERA under three, which is amazing. Uh, he is a great pitcher to watch. Um, he just reminds me of Greg Maddox, but just his phenomenal movement of his pitches and the fact that he just knows how to paint the corners and locate them so well. That's what Greg Maddox did for his illustrious Hall of Fame career. Now, so the Indians have to play a doubleheader tomorrow and then a doubleheader on Monday. Tomorrow it'll be Ross Strickling against Sam Henches in game one, and I believe it'll be Aaron Savali in game two. We don't know the starter for Toronto. Uh, the Indians took the first game of the series 11-2 uh, in seven innings because they called the game, which, again, I still don't understand how they called that game yesterday, but we don't know the Indians announced everything. I think it was due to the fact that the weather was was really windy, the, the spread was nine innings, and the fact that it was already getting late. There was no fans in the building. So it, it, it just felt that there was not going to be a finish this game at all. So I, I really think that it was the right call to do that type of game. And I did read a tweet by Zach Meisel. He did say that Francona was going to put in Jake Bowers to pitch the eighth inning and Rene Rivera in the ninth. But that's two position points for you. That's not one. That's not, that's two. So I'm glad that that didn't happen uh, because that would have been a disaster to watch that go unfold. Um, Cause it's always scary. You don't want people to get hurt and we don't want to have the same situation that went on with a couple weeks ago with the Yamin Mercedes home run. And, and again, going back to that, I really think that that was just out of proportion that Tony Rugarusa had to yell at him. It didn't make any sense. I felt that he just needs to get out of baseball. He just needs to retire. He's such an old school manager. He doesn't understand the new side of the game. If you throw a guy a meatball, 3-0, whatever your position pitcher, position player pitching, or an actual good pitcher who knows how to pitch, the ball's going to be crushed. And you should not be yelling or getting after people for doing that. It, it, it shouldn't make any sense. Like, it's not your fault. And it just doesn't make any sense. Okay, Mercedes has to make money. He has to get endorsements. He's a good player for the White Sox. The only reason why he's made the team, again, was because Eloy Jimenez got hurt. And then Luis Robert got hurt against Cleveland in the end of April. So it just all goes to show that he's been one of the best players in baseball. I mean, maybe one of the biggest surprises in baseball this whole entire season. So you got to let him swing the bat on 3-0 if he wants to do it. If he has a good pitch and he can crush it, just let him crush it. Now, going back to the Indians doubleheader, I just really think that if they can get a split, as I said earlier, both these games, I will be a happy camper. If they can take two out of two, if they can take one against Toronto, because Toronto is just so good hitting-wise. They know how to hit. They have such good young talent, and it's just so fun to watch them play baseball, especially with Bagger Jr., who lost 40 pounds in the offseason, leading the league in home runs, and has the highest on-base plus slugging. He's, it's over 1,000. He's so good. And he's only going to get better. He's going to be an all-star, just like Bo Bichette. Bo Bichette has the most runs in baseball. Like, that whole team is so good. But the problem is, they play such a tough division. The AL East is so tough every single year. Had to play the Rays, the Red Sox, the Yankees. I mean, yeah, you get a couple wins here and there against Baltimore because, you know, they're in the last place. I mean, unless you face John Means and uh, Trey Mancini, pull up, 
have a great performance here and there because Trey Mancini is having a comeback season. I prefer him to be the favorites to win comeback player of the year. Comeback from cancer. I think at one point he was leading the league in RBIs. And he's having a great season for the uh, Baltimore Orioles. Same with John Means. John Means threw a new hitter on May 5th. He is pitching some of the best baseball of his life. And he had to work his way up in the Baltimore Orioles system. But he is having an all-star year like he did in 2019. He is a great pitcher. And he's so fun to watch. Especially I listened to that no-hitter almost a month ago. And it's just, he almost had a perfect game. It wasn't for the drop third strike. He would have had a perfect game. Would have had the 24th perfect game in baseball history, but the gods, baseball gods, were not on his side. And it, I, I mean, I know the Orioles are in last place, and they probably will be finishing in last place. But there's a lot of promise and a lot of hope for that franchise in the near future, especially for John Means, Jay Mancini, and uh, some and other players as well, and Jonathan VR, another another good player on their team. So I, I really feel that that division is so packed, like I talked about earlier. Any team can win that division, those top four teams, not all of them are make the playoffs. Maybe the top three can make the playoffs. But I don't know. If I would pick one of those teams not make the playoffs, it would probably be Toronto. Not to make any indication of that, but I just feel that, like, they're so young. They have so many years down the road. Like, it's like the Yankees have won the World Series and everyone's complaining about it. Like, you won a World Series in 2009. Toronto hasn't been in the World Series since 1993. The Boston Red Sox, yeah, they won in 2018, and they have a dump. And the Rays went to the World Series last year, but they did lose. Blake Snell, they did lose. Charlie Morton. So, But they're still a great team. And I feel like Tampa Bay has no stars. and doing it all with talent that they've gotten. So it's just nice to see that Tampa Bay is doing things that this season. It's going to be a dogfight for the end of the for, – for the rest – for the next three months, it's just four months. It's just going to be a dogfight. Who can who can stay up top and win this division? That's the question that everyone's going to ask. Who's going to win the AL East? And there could be three teams making the playoffs in the division. And I would not be surprised if that's the case. Uh, now going back to the Indians double header, double headers because they have two of them. I think if we get five innings out of Henches tomorrow, I will be that'll be good. You save the bullpen. Maybe you use if you, if you get a lead. Hopefully they can get a nice lead. But they have innings have not been a lot scoring a lot of runs lately. They're probably 14th in the all baseball or I mean in the American League scoring runs. So it's just been very challenging for them to even get an offense. The only offense that's really been produced has been from Cesar Hernandez, Bob, both Ramirez and Eddie Rosario. That's literally it. So people have to step up. Eddie has done a great job over the last couple months. So I, I just feel that this doubleheader, I don't understand why baseball did this. I think that they should have canceled the game on Friday and played a doubleheader today and then played a game on Sunday and then played a doubleheader. They shouldn't have done play game on Friday, only play seven innings and then, oh, whoopsies. Nope. The weather's too bad. Let's just, let's just call this right now but you played in the weather the whole entire time anyway. So they're probably worried someone was going to get hurt. It makes sense. And then today, they canceled the game, and I'm like, I go look on Instagram, and I, I see says, oh, today's game has been postponed. We'll have a doubleheader tomorrow. And I'm like, it's not even raining outside. There's no rain. There's nothing. Whatever. You're just going to tax our bullpen the whole time. And we don't have a day off until next week anyway. So it's just going to be a crapshoot. So we'll see what happens. Uh, the Indians could be 20. The Indians could be at a lot of places. They could be a lot of games out. They could be right in the heat of things. But it all comes down to those games against the White Sox. This is a huge game. Get with the White Sox since April, the end of April. The White Sox, we... Again, great pitching staff. We all know this. The offense is phenomenal. Mercedes has been tremendous this year. Probably will win Rookie of the Year if he keeps up this pace. Uh, it, it's just been fun to watch him play the game of baseball. And so have the Tim Andersons, always electric. I really feel that these games are going to be very excited. I am going to both doubleheaders, so I will experience them in person. Like I've been, I've been to doubleheaders before, but I've never been to 
doubleheaders on back-to-back -back days. So it'll be very interesting. Now, let's go back in time here. Let's go back in time. Let's go back in the time machine. Go back in the DeLorean time capsule. Let's go back to May, May 10th. Nope, not May 10th. May 29th, 2010. 11 years ago, the late, great Roy Holiday tossed the 20th perfect game in baseball history, the second perfect game in Phillies history, a 1-0 defeat over the Florida Marlins at Sun Life Stadium. And he had 11 strikeouts. He only had to make like over 100 pitches. But it was just like amazing to see him do that. And I remember watching it last year at Geno's. But he was just such a great pitcher. When I talk about a guy who was so durable and he was so durable, he had more perfect, he had more complete games than the great, He had more perfect games than the great, no, he had more complete games than the great Mike Messina in the last seasons too. So he was so durable. He was so, so great. And he, he, you know, who he's matched up against that game. He was matched up against the great, one of the, one of the great players of that, one of the great pitchers of that era, uh, Josh Johnson. He won an ERA title that year, and he was – them and them were locked in a pitcher's duel the whole entire time. So, yeah, the Phillies got the first run in the third inning. It was on a – yeah, he reached on an error. So, Wilson Valdez got a single, and then reached on an E8 – Without scores, there was no RBI in the play. So the only one was scored on an error. So if the play was been made, there might have been a better game. But Roy Holiday had a lot of 3-2 counts in the game as well. Which, again, if you think about it, it's very scary when you have a 3-2 count multiple times in a game and you are trying to pitch a perfect game. So he could have been one ball away from multiple times. Not once, but multiple times in the whole entire game. But it was an amazing performance. I, I've seen it before. He was just locked and loaded. He was nervous, sweating like bullets. But it was one of those games where you knew something special was going to happen. Like, you you, you know when something special is going to happen probably after the first time through the order. But sometimes you don't. But Roy Holiday was so great that year. He won a second Cy Young out of his one in Toronto. He became the second pitcher. No, he became like the fifth pitcher to win the Cy Young in multiple, in both leagues, joining Roger Clemens, Randy Johnson, Pedro Martinez, and I believe that's it. And just, no, Justin Verona won in both leagues. Uh, so yeah, that was his perfect game. And yeah, he struck out 11. He made 115 pitches, 72 were strikes. 38 were called strikes, eight strikes swinging, and 28 were 26 were looking strikes. So he had a fantastic game. Hit a game score of 98, 98. Yeah. So that was Randy Johnson's perfect game. Uh, here is the great. The Phillies, Tom McCarthy called the final out on Comcast Sports Philadelphia. Here's the call right now. Game. The one-two pitch. Hit toward third. Castro has it. Spins. Fires. A perfect game. Roy Halladay has thrown the second perfect game in Philadelphia Phillies history. He faces 27 batters. He retires all 27. It's the 20th perfect game in baseball history and the second one this year.
He's only smiles for this. So yeah, Roy Holiday pitched a perfect game today on May 27, 2010. It was the 20th perfect game in Major League Baseball that year. There was another one pitched that year. It was in the earlier part of that year. In the early part of the month, it was Dallas Braden threw a perfect game on Mother's Day in Oakland at the Oakland A. Amadala Coliseum. And then two years later, we had three perfect games. Philip Umber in April. We had Matt Cain in July or August. And then Felix Hernandez pitched a perfect game for the Seattle Mariners. The closest we've been to perfect games this year, we had uh, Joe Musgrove almost had a perfect game for the San Diego Padres. Carlos Rodon hit a batter against uh, Roberto Perez. John Means had to drop third strike. And Wade Miley hit a batter or walked a batter as well. So there's been a lot of chances for people to have a perfect game this year, but no one has done perfection since Felix Hernandez did so in 2012. So who will be the next pitcher to throw? Who will be the next pitcher to throw a perfect game? We have no idea. But if you throw one, you are one heck of a pitcher, and you just dominated a team for two hours. So 27 up, 27 down, the rarest feat in baseball. We've been done 24 times in the game's 152 history. Now, I'm going to move on to a topic that, you know, I'm, I've been pondering over the years. So, Kenny Lofton, one of the best leadoff hitters of the 1990s and early 2000s, he won six gold gloves. He was a four-time All-Star, or that's the other way around, but he was one of the best players in baseball in that time period, one of the best leadoff hitters, period. And now, when I compare his numbers to a guy, let's say, um, let's say I compare his numbers to a guy, oh, I don't know, like Tim Raines, they're very, very similar. Six-time All-Star, four-time Gold Glove Award winner. He was one of the best in a few of his time. He stole over 600 bases. He has over 2,000 plus hits. He's almost he hit he hit 299 in his whole entire career. He was in the playoffs for almost his entire career. The problem was he only played 11 seasons in Cleveland and he played one season for a different team for the rest of his career. If he would have stayed with Cleveland for the rest of his career, he would be in the Hall of Fame, no doubt about it. But the problem is he never won a World Series, he never won an MVP, never won a batting title, never won an All-Star Game MVP, he didn't win any accolades, but he was in the postseason like for his whole entire career. He's the most postseason steals all time. Most postseason steals all time belongs to Kenny Lofton. He almost won the MVP. He almost won the postseason. He almost won the MVP in 1994. He lost it out to, of course, uh, Kenny Lofton. The most stolen bases in the postseason is 34. He did that when he was at the age of, I believe, he was 40 years old when he did the record, 40. So Kenny Lofton, yes, he didn't. He hit over 130 home runs in his career. He drove in 718 runs. He stole 622 bases, 48 a season. It's not Tim Raines level. It's not Ricky Henderson level. But over a span of, but over a span of like a seven-year period from 1992 to 2000, 1998, he stole 406 bases. That's a shit ton. Sorry for my language, but that is a mammoth ton of stolen bases. He stole a lot of bases. Okay. So yeah, he was a six-time also from 1994 to 1999. He won a gold glove from, I believe, 19... He won a gold glove from 1993 to 1996. That was the peak of his career. Uh, Lofton, yes, he was a great player. By that time, he was in his late twenty, in late late twenties. Stolen base number started to decline after the two thousand. After the his, his his stolen base numbers didn't really decline. Like he stole like thirty bases and he was thirty six years old. In two thousand seven, he stole twenty three, and the year prior he stole thirty two. So Lofton's peak, yes, was when he stole seventy five stolen bases in nineteen ninety six. But Lofton again was one of the most the last players of an era where the home run became so important. The home run became so important 
And there's like Lofton talking about this with Christina Leahy. I mean, I'm not going to play the interview, but if you want to go watch it, it's a good interview. And he talks about how Bond, Sosa, Maguire, and Canseco kind of like ruined the game for him because he was like a guy who would get on base. He had a good on base percentage. He had almost had a 400 on base percentage. 372 was his on base percentage for career. Yeah, he didn't he didn't slug a lot, but he was a good guy getting on base. Like he didn't strike out a ton either. So he had 945 walks to 1,106 strikeouts. Like that's that's a good ratio. That's like that's really good. And he scored. He didn't score as many runs as like Ricky Henderson or Tim Raines, but he had 2,428 hits. That's really good for a career that stood the test of time. I mean, in that era too, in his last season, he had 145 hits. Like he was a good player. Like he had a hundred hits in every single season, except his first season. He was a consistent player. Maybe not like the stolen bases were consistent. Cause again, you're not going to be that guy who can just steal 45 bases, hundred, like 70 bases every time. I mean, the only guy who could do that was probably Ricky Henderson, but going into perspective, his dominant run was from 1992 to, to, to 1999. I'm going to include 1999. That was the kind of the peak or not, 2000, 2000, 2001, 2002. He was okay. 2003, he had a really good year. So again, I, I just really wish that he gets more reclaim and more appreciation for what he did. And again, it, it just doesn't make sense how, and this is how he got screwed. This is how Kenny Lofton got screwed on the ballot. In 2007, in 2013, he was on the ballot for the first time. And what sucked was he was on the ballot with cheaters. He was on the ballot. And here's here's the ballot. Kenny Lofton got cut after his first year on the ballot. He only got 3.2% of the votes. He got 91 Hall of Fame votes. Or he got, yeah, that's how many Hall of Fame votes he got. It's just a shame. It is a shame that that's how many votes he got. It is a shame that he only got 18 votes. 18 votes. 18! His fellow teammate, an all-star, only got 16. Sandy Alma. He was 10 times better than, than Sandy Alma. He was better than David Wells, Steve Finley, Sean Green. Even Don Mattingly. But Don Mattingly was a great player, but injuries really derailed his career. Dale Murphy should be in the Hall of Fame. That's a conversation for another day. And what I will say is the steroid users who were on this ballot screwed Kenny Lofton. Okay, if he was put on a different ballot that did not include the likes of Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, or Sammy Sosa, he would be in the Hall of Fame. If he was put on the ballot the next year, he would have been in. Maybe not first ballot. It would have been a couple. Because he he was not a Ricky Henderson. He was not a Ricky Henderson. He was not a he, but again, when I compare his stats to Tim Raines, they're the exact same player. But Raines played more seasons, and he even though Raines won a batting title, that's great and everything. But I just feel that it's unfair that a guy of his caliber with the numbers that he did, okay, what 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 he did. In the postseason, was nuts. What Kenny Lofton did, Kenny Lofton stole 34 bases in his career in the postseason. He once stole 11 bases in one postseason. One postseason. He's on that list one time. He stole 11 bases one time. 1995. He's in the top 10 singles list in postseason history. 74 singles in the postseason. Yeah, he was that good. He's top 10 in hits. He's got 97 hits in his career in the postseason. 
He is one of the best postseason players in the history of the game. So it just doesn't make sense to me that he's not in the Hall of Fame. His numbers back it up. It's just a shame that he was put on a ballot that was screwed to begin with, and he gets overlooked because he didn't hit 500 home runs. He didn't drive in 1,000 runs. That was not Ken Lofton's game. His game was getting on base, stealing bases, being a force on the base pass. And there is a play that when I think of Kenny Lofton, I think of this. Game six of the ALCS, later stages of the game, the guy on second and third, Randy Johnson throws an off-speed pitch, ball gets away, one run scores, and Lofton's at second base. He scores from second base because he doesn't stop. He kept on running. Scores the run that gave the Indians the pennant in 1995. So again, Penny Lofton was not, his game was on home runs. Again, there are players in the Hall of Fame that that was their game. But again, it just, I'm just, it just icks and frustrates me that a player of that caliber, again, he has the accolades. He almost hit 300 for your career. Like what, what more did Penny Lofton have to do? Did he have to win the World Series? Did he have to win the 95 World Series? Did he have to win the World Series with the Giants? Did he have to win the World Series with the Cubs in 2003? Did he have to win the World Series with the Tribe in 2007? What did Ken Lawson have to do? I don't think there was anything else he could have done. I think that Kenny Lawson did enough. Just put him in the Hall of Fame, Veterans Committee. Do your job. I'm sorry I'm getting a little upset about this, but he was one of my favorite players. And it just irks me that if you look at Kenny Lofton, compare him side by side with 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 Harold Baines or not Harold Baines. Harold Baines should not be in the Hall of Fame. I don't know why that even acted in my head. But if I compare him to Tim Riggs, which is the one player that they compare on Facial Reference, which is an amazing website, okay? Say okay, I want to compare him to Tim Riggs. Pair is working. Here we go. Tim Raines and Kenny Lofton, two of the same players. Let's see what comes up. Once this thing loads, I'm going to tell you this, this comparison. And again, I just really think that they, you cannot, you can compare. Okay, so here we go. So Kenny Lofton played from 1991 to 2007, from the age of 24 to 40. Okay. He played 2,103 games. He scored almost as more runs as Tim Raines did. He scored 1,528 runs compared to Tim Raines' 1,571 runs. He almost had as more hits as him, but Raines, again, granted, played in 400 more games than almost 400 games than Lofton did. Lofton had almost more home runs than he did. He had three more triples. Almost had as more doubles as he did, maybe 50 less. Lofton had a little more strikeouts, but he had a, almost had a better on base percentage than he did. Again, they're very similar players. So, again, I would state that he was better than Tim Raines. So again, I, I, it just, Kenny Lofton, what he did from the age of 40, from the age of 24 to 40, he started late. He wasn't like 19, like Reigns was. If Kenny Lofton played baseball at the age of 19, he would have had the exact same numbers as Tim Reigns. I'm just going off of what he had. Kenny Lofton, I mean, yes, he had 300 less more total bases than him, but again, I don't want to know why I keep saying that. 
Kenny Lofton should be in the Hall of Fame. Some way or somehow, he needs to be there. He belongs in there. You have the guy, the most stolen bases in the postseason, 34. I know he never won a ring. He tried his hardest. He almost went to the World Series with Cleveland. Then he went to Atlanta in 96 and 97. They lost to the Florida Marlins in the ALS, NLCS. He probably has the most collapse. In the, the, he has the worst luck in the postseason. 95, losing the World Series. 96, lose to the Orioles in the championship series. 97, lose to the Florida Marlins, who shock you. You have the best rotation in baseball, John Smoltz, Greg Maddox, and Tom Glavin, and you get bounced in the second round in, four, in six games. 98, you go back to Cleveland. You lose to the Yankees, who were arguably the best team ever. That team was loaded. They no chance. 99, you're up three games. You're up two games then against the Boston Red Sox. Then you lose three straight games, and Pedro Martinez shuts you out in game five at home. Nothing you can do, even though Tommy hit two home runs in game five. Nothing you could do. 2000, you don't make the playoff. 2001, you're up two games to one against the Seattle Mariners, and you lose the last two games to the best team in the regular season. You won 116 games. They lost to the Yankees in five games in the, in the championship series. Because, again, the Yankees were better. They were better managed. And then in 2002, you go to the San Francisco Giants. You go to Game 7 of the World Series. You lose to the Giants. You lose to the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim in seven games. The next year, probably the worst thing that happened to Kenny Lofton in his career. He was in center field during a Steve Bartman incident. In Game 6 of the National League Championship Series, you're up 3-0 in Game 6. The 3-2 series lead at home with five outs to go. When a foul ball hit up uh, Luis Castillo's bat into the corner, and Moises Salou went after it, scrooped his glove, and whipped it with a fan. What Lofton should have done is just said, hey, man, you know, it's okay. We have five outs left, five outs away from going to the World Series. I mean, Lofton at that point was probably in his late 30s. He should have been more of a veteran player at that point, but I'm not going to take it on him. There's a lot of things to blame in that situation, and I don't know why we're at this point, but we're here. What I will say is that you got to take the whole blame on the manager, Dusty Baker. You blame him for leaving in Mark Pryor. He was your workhorse the whole year. And he ruined Mark Pryor. Let's just put it that way. He ruined Mark Pryor. And that's probably the reason why he never was the same again. He ruined Kerry Wood. He didn't really ruin Carl Sambrano because Sambrano was just a horse as well. But that's a different story for another day. But so he doesn't go to the mound after the incident. He waits to take Pryor out after they have the lead is over, after they botched a double play opportunity, after they yada, yada. So everything goes wrong for the Cubs. Then he comes out, takes them out of the game, and then they're already down by five runs. So again, you blamed us for the opportunity. Lofton and McKay bounces around from team to team. He's for the Dodgers for a little bit. And then in 2007, the Texas Rangers comes to Cleveland. Indians are up three games to one. He hits a huge home running game for the ALCS. He hits amazingly in the postseason. And the Indians choke a three to one series lead against the Boston Red Sox. They had game five at home, perfect situation with this Cy Young winner, eventual one of that is. CC Sabathia was on the pitching slab. And guess who didn't do it? Josh Beckett outpitched him, and the Indians lost the next two games at Fenway Park. And that was the last couple games of Kenny Lofton's career. And six years went by. He was on his first ballot. He gets 3.2% of the votes, which is 18 votes. 18 votes. Lofton is worth more than 18 votes. I'm sorry. I'm going to be writing a letter to the National Baseball Hall of Fame explaining my opinion as to why Kenny Lawson should be in the Baseball Hall of Fame. If they don't hear from if it, if, they, if they don't hear anything back, I'm going to keep writing the same letter back to them because Kenny Lawson was the greatest, if not one of the greatest leadoff hitters the game ever saw and one of the great base stealers the game ever saw. In that generation, he was let relentless and you could not take your eye off him or 
He'll score from second base in the championship series in 1995. So, Kenny Lofton, if you're listening to this show, which you're probably not, you should be in the Hall of Fame, and you should have a day in Cooperstown, and your whole family should be there, and you, you should have a ball in Cooperstown. I know you've liked some of my stuff before, but you are amazing, and you're, you are a legend, and the baseball world needs you to know that. Uh, now, talk, done with this whole entire thing on Kenny Lofton, if anyone wants to be on the show, let me know. Uh, you can email me at jbuttle58 at lakers.mercyhurst.edu, or you can send me a text. I don't know. I don't, I don't, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. Uh, you can just shoot me an email at jbuttle58 at lakers.mercyhurst.edu. That's jbuttle58 at lakers.mercyhurst.edu. Uh, Want to be on the show? Love to have you on the show. Love to talk baseball with anybody. Um, so yeah, I mean, this is it for, uh, season two, episode two, and I really hope you have a great Memorial Day weekend. It seems, even though the weather is not the best, uh, go enjoy some fun, have some, have a good cookout if you can, and go watch some baseball. Go Tribe, and peace out, Baseball Nostalgians.